This is a Geek Bro Podcast. What's up, besties? This is episode 42. When is this quarantine going to be over? I hope that you're staying safe and healthy during this weird time, and hopefully this podcast can be entertaining to you and hopefully can break up the monotony or just make the time go by faster. This cabin fever is real. Uh, It has gotten to a point where it's not cute anymore. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm really excited about this episode. Today's episode is my buddy Jiggy. Jiggy is a very funny New York-based comic who has been opening for the Impractical Jokers on their comedy tours as well as their cruises, and this episode is really fun. We talked about theme park smells, movies that make us cry, and of course we talked some stories about the Impractical Jokers and what it's like touring for them. This episode was recorded using Zoom, so it is going to sound a little different than usual episodes of this podcast, but this is kind of the new normal in this weird situation that we're in. Regardless, I still think that you guys are going to love this episode. I'm so thankful to Jiggy for being a part of it, and I'm so excited for you to listen. So without further ado, please enjoy Jiggy. That's how I do. How's your quarantine going? It's going well, man. How's yours? I'm hunkered down. I'm in New York City, man. I'm just uh, yeah, dude. like all of us doing the best we can. Yeah. Right? And I gave up going outside about three weeks ago. I'm, I'm a complete hermit. I'm living like bunker style. I'm, and now re-watching all those shows like the uh, survival bunker shows. Um, <laughs> and like they had like 15 of those series. And, and they, the angle of all those series was like, these people are crazy. These people are way over preparing. And now I'm like, they actually got it right. I wish I had like dried soup and cans and all that other shit. And like a oh, bunker yeah. underground. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. New York is the the thick of it right now, right? Yeah, I mean, being stuck inside, we don't you don't you don't see much really besides sure. like the lack of traffic. Like I live right on 2nd Avenue, which is in Midtown Manhattan, which is the center of the world, but since this whole thing has been happening, there's been less and less traffic and now like you you don't even see cars go by at night. It's like sleeping in the middle of the woods. It's like living in Maine now. <laughs> Everything's just got like really quiet, but like, you know, you, you don't really venture out. So you're not, you're not really seeing all the effects besides like going to the grocery store, but I haven't even done that. I'm like ordering food in. Yeah. That's the smart thing to do. That's what we're doing too, man. I started recording already. So we'll, oh, we'll yeah, just, right. yeah, we'll just get started. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like to roll in anyway. So it's not, you know, it's not anything crazy. Hey guys, this is Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez. Hey guys, guess what? I'm Mike Valdez, and today I have a really awesome guest with me. I'm super stoked to have him, Jiggy. What's up, dude? I'm here live. <laughs> yeah, here flesh. you are. Well, I don't think this is recorded live, but I'm here. Yeah, dude. So the first thing I, I like to ask all of my guests before we get started is, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a small town outside of Boston called Lexington, Massachusetts. So any history buffs, we shouldn't have to be a history buff. Everyone should know this, but Lexington is the, uh, the first battle of the American revolution. Hello, Paul Revere shot heard around the world. Battle of Lexington conquered ringing any bells. (laughs) So that's where I grew up in, uh, Lexington, Massachusetts, uh, very old, one of the oldest American towns, very, very suburban yeah what kind of a kid would you say that you were growing up like who did you sit with at the lunch table that kind of thing and you can kind of Uh, go around different ages as well because like we change a lot as kids so that's interesting as i got old as i got into like my teenage years i really i was mostly a jock so i played uh baseball in the spring i was on the golf team which is not necessarily gaining a lot of street cred on the golf team but um (laughs) I was, you know, I was, and then I played basketball in the winter slash DJed. So when I wasn't good enough to play basketball anymore nice. later in high school, I used to DJ the varsity basketball teams, which, which was supposed to, I did that just so I can get closer to the cheerleaders. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, I was mostly an athlete, you know, so I was like a jock in high school and, and then in middle school, I did more like drama stuff. So I kind of was like the kid who was bridging the gap between some of like the drama nerds and the athletes. And I'd say I was kind of quirky. Like I was into, um, as much as I played sports, I'd also be into like, like writing and, uh, performing and 
making short videos, funny videos with my friends and things like that. Nice. Do you have any funny stories that you remember from that time, like being in drama club and all that kind of stuff? Well, I I did plays in middle school Mm -hmm. and the only play that I didn't get cast in was Cats. Okay. (laughs) And I, and I was so mad that I didn't get cast in Cats um, (laughs) that I was like, I'm not even going to go watch this. I'm never going to go see this. I'm never going to see this. I'm not gonna, I'm never going to see the performance at my middle school and I'm never going to see cats ever again yeah. until like two years ago, I went and saw cats on Broadway okay. and I drank like a bottle of wine and drank and watched cats. And I was like, this is fucking horrible. Yeah. This dude. is a horrible production. <laughs> Thank God I didn't get cast in this. It would have ruined my career. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was 12 years old. If anyone knew I was in cats, my reputation would have been lost. <laughs> Yeah, so everything dude. happens for a reason. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Martin Short was on Fallon a few months ago, and he was like, congratulations on your recent role in Cats. And he said, I wasn't in Cats. And he goes, that's why I'm congratulating you. <laughs> like, so it's uh, it's definitely not something that. Like, I don't even know what that play is about, dude. Like, and, and oh, I don't think sure. anyone does. I went and saw Cats the movie the first weekend it came out just because I had so much fun making fun of the live action version on Broadway. Right. And as much as I had fun I had on Broadway, it was five times more enjoyable to watch in the theaters. And I swear I had more fun at cats, the movie in the theater. It was probably the most fun I've ever had the movie theater (laughs) because everyone, it was like everyone who was there watching the movie was all there for the same reason. So we were all kind of watching it ironically so all the there was I, I I think it was the most I've ever heard a theater laugh oh throughout an entire gosh. movie. I and, love and, it, and I I like to see a lot of stuff. And it was the most enjoyable, not only for myself but a, a whole theater packed full of people. It was like everyone got drunk and was just laughing the whole way through. And it was it was actually a very enjoyable hour and a half. That's hours. awesome. I feel like yeah, you you might have gotten the better end of the stick because every person that I've talked to that saw it was always in a halfway empty theater, and no, majority yeah. of the crowd was like halfway through the movie was like, are they going to be singing the whole time? Like they didn't even know what they were getting themselves into, you know. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like it was a weird thing. I don't know if I've had that experience in a theater. I think the closest I've had to an experience where like everybody was just in tune with the movie and like laughing at every single joke was like when I saw 21 jump street, the Jonah Mm. Hill movie, that was probably like the only time where it was like every joke was landing. It was just a great time. So when you were growing up, what were your fandoms? Like what were you other than sports and things like that? What were you into as far as like movies, television, things like that? Well, you're wearing my the shirt of like my favorite franchise. So Back to the Future was mm-hmm. probably my favorite movie fa- franchise. A big Ninja Turtle fan. Yeah. Indiana Jones movies. I was a huge Wayne's World fan. As a kid, like everything Jim Carrey touched when I was a kid was like the gold standard of comedy to me. And maybe the maybe my first experience of thinking something was funny to me. Right. Was watching Jim Carrey and like Ace Ventura and, and Dumb and Dumber and because he was so over the top and so silly right. that it would it appealed to me, but you could also watch it with someone who was older and it appealed to them too. So yeah. I think I learned to, like what was funny from Jim Carrey's stuff. As far as like fandom, I was always kind of like, especially now when I look back at it, I was kind of like trying to be a part of little cliques yeah. of of society. Like I really wanted to be into magic cards, okay. but like I could <laughs> I couldn't figure out the game. So I was a collector. I was a collector of magic cards knowing like zero of how the game worked. I never knew how magic cards worked, but like I'd beg my mom, I need to get magic cards. And then, you know, I'd buy packs and packs and I'd look at them. And the value to me was just like how cool they looked. (laughs) Um, But then there was like real kids in the school who played magic cards and I would carry them around. Like that was the thing. Like I'd carry magic cards around like I was playing, but I had no idea how to play. Same thing with, pogs yeah i would collect all these pogs and like i still to this day have no idea why i don't even know what the game i think that you like you like smacked them on the ground i have no idea what pogs were all about from what i can remember and i mean i could be maybe we were even playing it wrong who knows 
But from what I can remember, you would stack the pogs and then you would have this like almost metal looking pog and called a slammer. And you would slam Slammer. it, and if you could make all the pogs fall down, then that's how many like points you got. I, I guess like stupidest game ever. <laughs> it was so bad, but yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I was like, this had to have been like second or third grade when we were playing pogs, but that was a crazy game for sure. But as far as like joining the stuff that like a lot of kids get into that completely skipped me was. Like video games, for example, I, right. I've never been a gamer of any sort. And right. so same here. I just I never got into anything. I had like when I was like a real little kid, like we had like an original Nintendo NES at the house that I would dabble with. And I had a Sega, but then it was like that was kind of it. Like I played Sonic, but very loosely. I never got into like to this day. I just I don't play any games. So I think that, that was one thing that got people together that totally skipped over me. Trying to think of like group like things that I was really into as like a group. I mean, I was kind of just like like a baseball nerd, so like I would yeah. know like I, I could probably do like all the batting stances from like the nineteen ninety nine Red Sox. Nice. I could probably, I could probably <laughs> still do them. Like I could probably run the the infield for. I was just really into the game. I would watch all the games like very closely. Like I would know all the players and. You know this more than I do, but was ninety nine when the Marlins went to the World Series? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that sounds about right. I know it wasn't the Red Sox. Yeah, um, they were in the playoffs that year. I want to say it was it was the Marlins and the Cardinals. I want to say. Yeah, I think the the Marlins did win. Yeah, and they had the All Star game at uh, Fenway Park that year, which was like a one of the best ones. And like Pedro Martinez, who was like my hero, but that's yeah. like kind of I'm holding a baseball now as we speak. But nice. Um, <laughs> I, baseball was probably my most like important uh, like hobby. You know, yeah. following it on TV, but then like playing it every day. And I got lost in that from most of my childhood was on a baseball field somewhere. Right. I actually remember at some point, it had to have been around 98 or 99. I remember hanging out with buddies like after school. This was like fourth or fifth grade, something like that, maybe, maybe even less than that. And we would do the same thing that you're talking about, which is we would do batting stances and then everyone would be like, oh, that's Gary Sheffield or that's yes, like, you know, yeah, yeah, and he had an easy one. Gary Sheffield, an easy one. I would do Nomar. Yeah. Nomar he had like the most distinct one. Yeah. So that was that was uh, that was most of my yeah, most of my adolescence was on a baseball field somewhere. That's awesome. So we're, we're talking about baseball. Do you like sports movies at all? Are you into like the Sandlot and stuff like that? I love The Sandlot. I love Rudy. Sports movies always, as someone who like played sports, especially baseball, I always felt like they just never did the sport justice. Sure. Like, I watch the Major League movies, which is it's a baseball movie, but it's not like just about baseball. But right. I watch those movies, and then the number one thing that comes to my mind is like, oh man, like the pit, it's so fake. Like he's he's not throwing 100 <laughs> miles an hour. He's throwing like 40 miles an hour. How are they not pounding right. this guy? Yeah. Mighty Ducks is another great one. Love Mighty Ducks, man. Flying but sports v. movies, they're almost like a little bit too predictable. Because a little like, bit. You assume they're going to win, right? <laughs> Sometimes they don't. I'm trying to think of an example of like when the team you're following in the movie doesn't win. Miracle. Never saw it. Yeah, in, in Miracle, it's a, it's a hockey movie, and at the end they lose, but it's inspiring just because like of what uh, the coach tells them. And it's just like, it's a very like... It's like the but didn't mo- they beat the Russians? Didn't they beat the Russians one game, but they didn't win the whole series or something like that? I, I mean, that might be Rocky Four, but I <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of blurry to me, to be honest. But but like, I feel like a lot of sports movies. You're definitely right; they're predictable when it comes to like the sports themselves. But like, they're mostly just made for like dads and like for churches to use like before their altar call. <laughs> You know what I mean? Inspiration. Exactly. Like inspirational, like, you know, hey, man, they lost in Miracle and you can win, you know, or whatever, you know. That's why I think that's why I love Rudy so much. Rudy is one of my favorite movies because it's not really about winning or losing. It's more about like just overcoming. Still to this day, there's only a handful of movies that make me cry. Rudy almost every time makes me cry. Okay. What are the other Uh, ones? You opened up the gates. Let's talk about it. It's so embarrassing. I remember... I actually remember the act of crying and in the act of crying being like, I'm never going to live this down. I was watching, um, <laughs> I was in college. This was like 2000, 
five or six, yeah. and they just had released a documentary on the 2004 Red Sox winning the World Series, which was the first time they won in like 87 years. Yeah. So they put out this documentary about how what it meant to the people of Boston and like all these old timers who never. I was I was like waterworks oh, watching. But- yeah. Honestly, dude, it's it might be embarrassing to you, but I get it because the Red Sox are your heart and I understand that, you know, so like for for <laughs> me, the most embarrassing time I've ever cried was when I saw the remake of Aladdin, dude. I saw, <laughs> I saw the remake of Aladdin and as I was crying, I was like, this movie isn't even good. Why am I crying? <laughs> I would have cried for you that you went and saw that. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it was so bad. And I don't, I don't even know why I was crying. I guess it was like the nostalgia of like, because it was my favorite Disney movie growing up. So like, I guess the nostalgia of all the music or something just like overwhelmed me. I don't know what it was, but to this day, that's definitely the most embarrassing cry I've ever had during a movie. <laughs> I cried in person to the Nutcracker for similar reasons. But I saw the Nutcracker oh, yeah. like ballet. And I think I remember like going as a kid all the time. Like we'd go every holiday season to see the Nutcracker. But then it had been like ten or fifteen years since I saw it, and it just like I got like a nostalgia blast, which wasn't. And I just started like crying in like this in the in the <laughs> in a theater, like I'm in a proper theater. You, I'm telling you, sometimes sometimes the only way to get out all your feelings when you see something from your childhood is just to start crying. <laughs> I don't understand what it is, but. I wanted to move on because I was listening to your podcast, Taste Funny, uh, mm-hmm. and you were talking about how much you love theme parks, and you're like, I can do a whole podcast on theme parks. Oh, and yeah. I I'm really a theme could. park buff as well, so I wanted to pick your brain on your favorite kinds of theme parks and all that kind of stuff. Well, to me, oh, man, theme park game, where to start? To me, I think my, my favorite part about the theme park is the smells. Sure. So it's not even the attraction. To me, the baseline of that is the is the smell. So the I have experience, like, man. I have a whole little Rolodex of smells in my brain. Yeah, that like you could blindfold me and I could place myself at like very distinct locations at certain theme parks. Disney comes to mind because it's the most common, easy to talk about. But like I know the exact smell of what the line right before you get onto the boat on Splash Mountain. That smell is like very distinct. Yes. So I like the Pirates of the Gar- Caribbean smell, like the, the smell water. of the air conditioning, the air conditioning inside the Haunted Mansion. And those uh, water rides, a lot of people think that the water ride, that all the water in there is, they clean the water with chlorine. Disney World, they actually clean it with bromine. bromine so the smell that you get is you get like this like air conditioning, misty, fog effects, bromine smell. That's very distinct. Yeah. And, and- I love that. I think that's so interesting, honestly, and we're getting really nerdy here, but like I I, because I agree with you, I think one of the best parts of theme parks is the smell as well. It's the thing that just brings you back instantaneously, like the smell of Main Street at Magic Kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, you smell ice cream and popcorn and cinnamon and it just smells so good, you know. But honestly, I think one of my favorite smells is the smell inside of the E.T. Adventure. At Universal oh, Studios. Oh yeah, Universal. Yeah. Yep. What do Very you know distinct. what that is? Because <laughs> that's a that's a fog effect, air conditioning, woodsy. It's like it smells like humidity and air conditioning and like pine. Right. And like there is like a fluid, some type of smell that radiates off of like the um, animatronics. Yeah. That like all these smells kind of have in common, which is kind of like a metallic undertone man that's right that's very specific another smell i really like is a smell inside of the monorail yeah i love the monorail smell which is a very it's like an air-conditioned smells like florida yeah like a very distinct florida smell and kid pee yeah very distinct (laughs) no one ever has this conversation about new york city by the way no one's ever like oh the smell of 53rd street in the afternoon you never hear that. It's yeah. very, very uncommon. That's so funny. Yeah, there's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. There's this company called the Magic Candle Company. Have you ever heard of them? Yes. Dude, they do the Lord's work. They, they like figured out how to get a lot of these scents. They pretty much nail the E.T. Adventure smell, which is crazy because like I looked for years. Like I was like trying to find Glade plugins that smelled like it, you know. I was like, "How difficult could this possibly be?" So you have you have the ET Adventure one? 
Yes, I do. I have the. So they, have to, they have to get around like the copyrights, don't they? Call it it's like extraterrestrial night. Or exactly. Something? Yeah, it's like extraterrestrial bicycle movie. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have, um, I have Main Street USA, and then I also have Soren, the ride from Epcot. It's a very specific part of Soren when you're going over the orange trails, right? So there's mm-hmm. that. They have everything, man. They have like the Tower of Terror. Like they have everything. It's it's mm. it's Tower nuts. Tower is good, small. Yeah, it's nuts. They're not a sponsor. I'd love for them to be, but but go to Magic Candle Company, man. They'll they I might have to go. I might have to get some for my quarantine. I'm telling you. Know, you. And my favorite part of going to a theme park is actually the moment from when you park that you walk up to the gate. That's okay. the best part of the whole day. I love that because like you have the whole day in front of you. There's so much anticipation. You like smell kind of like sunscreen. You're all like <laughs> prepped. You're kind of like heightened to all the people around you. And like, I don't know, that that's like the best part of the day. Oh I always think gosh. about that point, like right before you hit, right when you get out of the car and you're walking to either the monorail or you're walking up to the gates of whatever park you're going to, yeah. that's like the best part. And you can hear the music kind of in the background. Ah, best. I love it. I love it. What would you say is your favorite attraction? Splash Mountain, hands down, favorite ride across the board. Yeah, uh, the Mummy at Universal is pretty high up there. Yeah, that's a really great one. Space Mountain is great, but I like the I like the, like the heavily themed. The more heavily themed, I think, the more I enjoy it. But I think as yeah. far as the track, the length of the ride, the theming, the music, it's, I don't think anything touches Splash Mountain. Yeah, I think it's the top. I think it's the number one. It has to be number one for me. It's it's tough. I don't even think there's really a close second to be honest. Right. I also think that it's one of the only rides that is worth the wait, you know, where like it's long enough to where you feel like it was a satisfying enough ride that you waited in line for an hour and a half as opposed to Space Mountain, which is a great ride, but it's pretty much over in 45 seconds. You know, so I was watching a I was watching a documentary, not documentary, a clip, essentially Space Mountain if you took it and you did it during the daytime, it's literally like a carnival ride. Like the top speed on Space Mountain is only 35 miles an hour. There's no big dips. The entire thrill of that ride is doing it in the dark. Wow. If you look at a picture of it during the day, it's a tiny, tiny attraction. It's very, very small. There's no dip over like eight feet or something. So I think you feel like you're, you have this sensation like you're going on this massive roller coaster, but it's so small. It's like, I think they call them like a mousetrap ride. Yeah. That they have, a, it's literally a mousetrap ride. It's tiny, it's very, very small. Honestly, that is a really awesome thing because it really makes you realize how riding a ride in the dark can change so much. Because like just riding it in the dark, you're just like, wow, this is a lot great. Like there's a dip at one point. And if you're over like 510, everyone feels like they're about to get their heads chopped off. And Mm -hmm. like and like, who knows? It might be like feet and feet, but it's just like it's all your brain. So like who really knows? You know, here's another question about theme parks. I, I love theme park food and theme park snacks. What are some of your favorites? Favorite theme park snacks. I mean, the turkey leg comes to mind, but it's actually not my favorite. It's not my favorite thing. I don't know. There's something very, it's hard to turn down like just hot popcorn at a theme park. That's a really good question. I don't know. It's tough to turn down the turkey legs though. They smell so damn good. Yeah, they do. I think turkey legs would be up there. I just love a good popcorn. Probably a turkey leg and popcorn. Yeah, man. As far as for me, I'd say like the Dole Whip is a really big one for me. I love the uh, Dole Whip. Great call, yeah. Yeah, call. I, I had my it. first one recently. Oh, really? Never had one. I had one at a San Francisco Giants game okay. last season. Great. Yeah, it's so good, man. It's it's amazing. Man, it's tough, man. I, I want to say, as far as like restaurants, I think my favorite theme park restaurant is... Um, in the Italy section of Epcot, there's a there's a pizza place called Vianopoli. Have you ever been there? No. It's great. Honestly, it's like probably the best pizza I've ever had. Wow. It's, I haven't had all the pizza in the world, you know, so like, so don't at me or anything, but, <laughs> but it is my favorite. It's like a very like family style kind of thing. Like you order one pie and it's like the size of a table. You know, mm. so it's it's pretty great. What are your favorites? Man, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I feel like I never, I don't sit down and eat at theme parks that much. 
Really? Because um, no, I've always found myself in like the quick serve type places, and yeah. I never really had anything like that kind of like blew me away. So I think the theme park snacks are always better than the meals. Yeah. But that said, it has got a lot better. Like I think if I'm remembering correctly, there was a place I went to in like the Africa part of of uh, of uh, Animal Kingdom yes. that I had like great food there. This was years ago, but yeah, I feel like. Here's another specific spot that one of my favorite places at the theme park yeah. is the lobby of the Polynesian Hotel. Oh, yes, dude. Absolutely. Very specific smell there. I love that hotel, man. It's so awesome. We're already talking about snacks. We like to talk a little bit about cereal on this podcast. I know you're a cereal connoisseur. Um, yes. So what are your favorite cereals? Favorite cereals, I think Cinnamon Checks and Cinnamon Life. Okay. extremely underrated because I judge cereals based on their taste, but then also the milk. So it's like a taste to milk type of thing. I agree. Um, and I think cinnamon life, cinnamon checks are my favorite of the cinnamon bunch. No and cinnamon then, toast crunch. No. Yeah. I actually don't care for it. So this is, this is my take on cinnamon toast crunch. I think it's the LSD of cereal mm. because, <laughs> because you take a bite and you don't see yourself gaining 15 pounds. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much sugar. and Yeah, it's a lot, dude. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is actually one of the, on a different metrics, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is actually one of the best cereals to eat without milk. Just yeah. plain. You can get away with just eating that as a snack. Where most cereals are a little tougher. And then on the chocolatey side, Cocoa Pebbles are my favorite uh, chocolatey cereal. But I usually tend to stick to the more simple cereals. And if I'm going to go wild and crazy, I just finished a box. Lucky Charms, I think, is the splash mountain of cereals. Is it? <laughs> That's awesome. Lucky, that- Lucky Charms is, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just the best. It's, it's tough to beat a Lucky Charm. They are magically delicious. Absolutely. Well, every episode of this podcast, we like to review a box of cereal. Now, I know that we're doing a Zoom meeting and it's kind of difficult to review cereal together right now. But I just figured we could use our imaginations. I don't know. Every episode, I like to pick a cereal that has something to do with my guest in some way, shape, or form. So I spoke with my sponsors over at Funko. Now, by sponsor, I mean that I like them and I buy all their products. And by spoke (laughs) to, I mean that I tweeted them repeatedly and they never got back to me. So the cereal that I got for you is Funko brand Joker cereal. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we can describe the box, I guess. There's a lot of like graffiti here. It's the Suicide Squad Joker from what I can tell here. Definitely a Suicide Squad Joker. I mean, they're already getting major points for maybe one of the most fun cereal boxes I've ever seen. This yeah. is definitely ranking. Well, I think what's really Very awesome fun. is, let me show you the back here. There's a maze and all that kind of stuff back here. And it Love comes a good with cereal maze. Yeah. Love a good cereal maze. It also comes with a cereal prize as well, which I think is, is a lost art form that cereals don't do anymore. Uh, let me see here. Let me see if I can grab it. Very vibrant colors. So these are bright green little O's. They yes. look like just the green Fruit Loops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I've had about 15 or 16 of these cereals, and all of them taste exactly the same, and you're nailing it. It's pretty much just the green Fruit Loop. <laughs> like, it looks like just, yeah, green it, Fruit Loops, but... It doesn't taste like Fruit Loops. It just tastes like the color green. You know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. But anyway, I think it would be fun to review this cereal, but I think it would be more fun to review this cereal as the Joker. So what I want to do is I'm going to get I'm going to get some Joker music here. And then as best as you can, using your imagination and the facts that I've given you, Jiggy, because, again, we can't have this cereal right now. I'd like for you to review this cereal as the Joker and play this music here whenever you're ready, man. It was a dark day in Gotham. I needed a hearty breakfast. And Funko delivered. This is more like a commercial. Yeah. By the way. (laughs) I said, I need my cereals like my hair. Green. Green as the apples I eat. I'm also Southern in this commercial. Funko gave me a crunchy, 
crispy circle, a hole like the eyeballs I plucked from your head. <laughs> Funko green apple fucking <laughs> treats. <laughs> Joker cereal. Get it at your local grocer or don't. But remember, it's me, the Joker. <laughs> yes, dude. The Joker cereal. Oh my gosh, that was great. Southern Joker. Yeah, that's Chattanooga, Tennessee Joker. I love I it. Have a lot of, I have Southern accents <laughs> on my mind because I've been watching a lot of Ozark. Yeah. And I'm channeling a lot of, have you seen Ozark? I have. Yeah, it's so great. I love that show. So good. I'm beginning of season three right now, but I'm channeling a lot of Southern accent. Darlene. Darlene. <laughs> This episode of Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez is brought to you by The Crunch Cup. Save time in the morning by taking your cereal on the go. Simply add cereal to the inner cup, milk into the outer cup, screw on the lid, and you're ready to crunch. Eat cereal in the car, at your desk, or anywhere else you want. Go to thecrunchcup.com to purchase what I think is a genius invention and use the discount code MikeValdez10. That's Mike, M-I-K-E, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S, the number 10, to save 10% off of your order. You can also sign up for their monthly giveaway to win a year's supply of cereal. So what are you waiting for? Go to thecrunchcup.com and use promo code MikeValdez10 to save 10% off of your order. The Crunch Cup, it's better than spooning. This episode of Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez is brought to you by Real Good Foods. I am so excited to announce that Real Good Foods has launched their very first dessert item, ice cream. Real Good Ice Cream is the first ever super premium, better for you ice cream. It's extra creamy, so there's no icy or chalky texture like other light ice creams, making it a real ice cream experience with real ingredients. Only 180 calories and four grams of sugar per serving. Real Good Ice Cream is sweetened by using allulose, which isn't like regular sugar. It's a naturally occurring rare sweetener found in figs, dates, and maple syrup. Ultimately, it has one-tenth the calories of cane sugar, which means it won't spike your blood sugar levels. Real Good Ice Cream comes in a variety of flavors, and starting today, they can be found at realgoodfoods.com and The Vitamin Shop. And guess what? Real Good Foods is giving all Childlike at Best listeners a discount code that'll make us all scream for ice cream. Visit realgoodfoods.com, choose as many of your favorite items, and use promo code BESTIE at checkout. That's B-E-S-T-I-E at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Real Good Foods. Keep it real. There was one episode of, of Taste Funny that I listened to where you, you said that you made a Cuban sandwich on an ironing on an iron on an iron board. Yeah, dude, that's like the most genius thing I've ever heard. That's so <laughs> you awesome. Can do it in hotels, like it's like if you had you grab some bread and most of the hotel lobbies can get like mustard. And, and I, yeah, so I did that. You wrap it in tinfoil and get that from downstairs, make a nice little uh, Cuban sandwich. My gosh, dude. Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I did that on stage and I did a show in Europe and I, they like screw in their irons into the walls of the hotels and I had to have them unscrew it so I could take it to the venue. Oh my and gosh. Uh, I made sandwiches for the crowd on stage on the ironing board. It was actually really funny and I was like steaming them with the steam part. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's it was like awesome. my birthday. It was my birthday. So like the crowd got me like wasted and I got off stage. I was on stage for like two hours and I was like making sandwiches. Everyone got wasted. It was like, it was a wild night. Oh, dude, I would have loved to be there. That would have been awesome. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> so I kind of want to move on into what you're doing now. When did you start stand up and what kind of inspired you to start doing stand up comedy in general? Uh, I started doing stand up when I was um, after my junior year in college. And my first audience was I played college baseball in Florida. So my first audience was my baseball team. And uh, I used to lead the I was a captain of the team so I used to lead the stretching every day and during those stretching ex- exercises I used to like kind of roast the team and tell little jokes and I'd write little things and and so that was like the first thing that I ever did as far as like quote unquote performing but then I started doing open mics and uh, I'd bring my teammates out and they were my first like you know supporters or whatever and I got into it just because I you know I really like to make people laugh I didn't really think it was going to be like a career you know I didn't know where it was going to go sure 
But if I'm honest, like I liked to be the center of attention. I thought it was going to help me get girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it did not. I can tell you it did not. <laughs> yeah. Comedy is um, not the business for that. <laughs> no, I remember like, I remember early on, I was like trying to impress a girl that I ended up dating in college and I brought her to like an open mic and there's like six people. I didn't go on to like midnight. And, but I really thought that was going to like seal me in. Right. Um, yeah. It didn't help, help me, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I glamorized stand up so much, you know, that I thought even doing stand up at a coffee shop at midnight with six people was like the coolest thing ever. And I still kind of have that attitude. Like I still think it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So I don't know. I think you gotta, you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to do stand up, you know, because you have to look out at that crowd of six people and think this is like the best. I'm so lucky to be able to do this, but I've always kind of felt that. And it, it's, it's shifted and I've, I've been lucky to do so many different types of things. And, um, but I still have that mentality that, that first year mentality of like just getting on the mic is so, uh, so much fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so what would you say? Cause like clearly, you know, how, how many years have you been in the game right now in the standup game? Um, over 11, 11 years. 12. So clearly mm-hmm. you've had hell gigs, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. What are all the time? What are some What are some hell gigs that you can share with with me and hopefully make me feel better about mine? Oh God, <laughs> I've had a lot. Yeah, I me think too. that um, uh, gig success, right? Is it's kind of like to use another baseball uh, analogy. It's kind of like a batting average, right? So when you yes. start off and you're doing only open mics and like you can barely get anyone to come to any type of show, your batting average is low. So like, you'll be lucky if you get like one out of ten. That's like a great show. And as you do more, then you get on better shows at better clubs and do better things. So your batting average goes up. But you know one ever bat, bats a thousand. Even yeah. people who sell thousand tickets to their own shows or arenas have off nights or bad crowds. So you're never gonna hit a thousand. But as you get further in your career, you get a better batting average. Another baseball analogy, I went on a slump this uh-huh. year. I had a couple of gigs that were just like bang, bang, bang. It was like every gig I was doing, I'm like, what is going on? Right. Um I did a cruise gig this year that was it was all people who were like over 75 years old on a one night cruise to like the Bahamas. And I was supposed to be doing two weeks on this cruise boat. Wow. And the, and the boat was only 30% occupied. Oh, so no. they put the show into a 1000 seat theater at 1030 at night. Oh, no. And there was 40 people scattered yeah. who were like half asleep. So this massive, big, big room people are scattered in different parts of the room like no one up front like 500 seats up front no one sitting there people are literally in balconies like all you could barely see any sort of crowd so that was my first night 40 people and the vice president of the cruise line he hadn't been on a boat in like nine months and he was on the boat that night and came to watch my show to see if he wanted to like book me on other things and like i'm just i'm out there just like doing the best you can like for people who don't know at home who may be listening there is like a mathematical equation of a success for a show. Of course. It's not necessarily how big the room is or how many people are at a show. If you have 40 people in a room that holds 50 people, that's a great show. If you have 40 people in a room that holds 1,000 people, it's a terrible show yep. 100% of the time. It's nearly impossible. You can do things to make your make it better for yourself. Like if all 40 are sat together at the front, it's better. But the worst thing for a comedian to see is – 40 people in a room that holds a thousand and scattered. Yeah. And that's what I had. So the vice president of the cruise line was there. thought I was like the worst comedian he's ever seen. Oh no. And I got fired from the gig on the first night on a a cruise boat because like, there's nothing you can do. You're just doing in a room that massive. There's like literally nothing you can do. Right. That's insane, man. Oh my gosh. Luckily I haven't had something that horrible. But <laughs> so it actually makes me feel pretty good. I'm glad. That, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I've had I've had some hell gigs, man. I mean, my my hell gig. I'll tell you. I've I've said it on the podcast before, but I haven't said it in a while. My hell gig was that I auditioned for this theater on this like variety show that they wanted to do, and so. I went to the audition and they thought that the audition would work best if there was an audience there. So they liquored up the audience entirely. So the audience was like completely drunk out of their minds. 
And when I was signing all the paperwork for the audition, the woman who was running the audition was like, hey, don't let the gong intimidate you. And I said, what? (laughs) And she goes, don't let the gong intimidate you. And I walked into the room and Jiggy, as the country of China is in Asia, there was a gong in the middle of this room. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. And apparently they had given a bunch of signs to everybody in the crowd when they didn't like someone, they would raise up the sign that, and it said, bang that gong. And then a ninja would come out. No, I'm not joking. This isn't a Savalo Gigante ripoff. A ninja would come out and bang the gong. And then you lost the audition or whatever, or the, the chance to perform on that variety show. So the comics weren't doing well at all. In fact, uh, and I started realizing that if there was any kind of silence or lull, then the crowd would start booing and then, you know, raising up the signs. So, right. So no matter what you did, if you were a stand-up comic, if you could be the funniest guy in the world, you were getting booed off that stage. So I knew going up that I wasn't going to be, that I wasn't going to do well. So I went up there. And also, here's another thing. Just for fun, all the comics, we decided that we would time our set to see how long it took before we each uh, got booed off the stage. I won the longest time to be on stage and I was on stage for 18 seconds. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it was pretty nuts, but yeah, dude. So, you know, we, we talked about the hell gig. What, tell me some of the best nights that you've had. I want to hear some good stories now. Yeah. Well, luckily there's, you know, like I said, with that batting average thing, there's always going to be anomalies with bad nights. But um, I opened uh, for a show for the New York Comedy Festival at uh, Madison Square Garden last year, which was wow. like unbelievable. Yeah. Sold out 16,000 people and, and did the uh, Boston Garden as well. That's and so the cool. Boston Garden was, was, I think, was more, very more meaningful for me because I grew up as in Boston. So to do like a sold out show at Boston Garden, to be a part of that and to do 15 minutes to stand up, you know, that was one of my like highlights ever, you know, just performing on stage and the Patriots made it to the Super Bowl that night after that show. That's awesome. It was like all around. It was like one of the best nights of my life. It was just so much fun. Yeah, that's so great. And so opening for the, uh, for the impractical jokers. And I would honestly, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the, that whole experience and what it's been like touring with these guys what are some stories that you have from tour actually you know what how did you get the gig where they did they find you at a comedy club and were like that dude is they, awesome they uh so their tour manager actually found me when i was at house mc for the orlando improv and um nice. and he saw me perform down there he came to a sunday night show which everyone knows is like not usually the best night right but he came out to a sunday night show and he thought i'd be a good fit and he liked me and uh, about a few weeks later, there was a follow-up for a show in Boston. And he knew I was from there, so he, was, he gave me a call. And uh, I went up there on a whim, like just flew up that day and, and did the show and really connected with the guys. And, and at that point, they had just started touring. Right. You know, it was almost seven years ago. They just started hitting the road. And uh, a lot about being not only an opening act or touring with a group or whatever, it's so much about just how you um, can hang, you know, so much about the hang, you know, because you have great comics who never will get or never did or will get a chance like that. If you're like, I guess I can sum it up. I wanted to write a book about how to be a good opening act, which I don't think would only serve about nine people. (laughs) If I wrote that book, the title of the book would be called don't be annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd be, you'd be surprised how far that actually gets you because I go on my, my own runs where like I have people who open for me. So clearly not on the same level, but I, I, you know, I get it. Like the whole thing of, of being asked back and doing multiple runs of tours and staying with an artist for a long time and hopefully growing into your own artist where you can have people support you. is just being a good hang and, and being, um, you know, not being annoying, but also respecting their time and their space and, and having a good sense about how the whole thing works and, and understanding that they have a hundred things that you're not thinking about. So like joking around and, you know, you always want to have a good, um, paint a good picture for yourself and the tour. You know, you're representing the tour. So you never want to, like, do anything that makes the tour look bad. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it all started from just having a good connection and then, you know, working that into, like, a, a, a true, like, friendship. 
That's amazing, man. You came here, I want to say it was a few weeks ago, you you came and performed at the Miami Improv for Luis Diaz's frat house. He's a buddy of mine. And uh, I was lucky to be on that show with you. It was really awesome. It was the night before the, the Joker's Cruise, right? The Joker's Cruise, which was awesome, yeah. Yeah. It was the night before. Man, that crowd was awesome. And and that was going to be my next question is what are some of like your favorite places to perform when you're on Impractical Joker tours and things like that? I think it I think it would actually be the same for when I'm on the road for myself as well. It's, yeah. The Midwest is I think you get some of the best crowds in the middle of the country. Okay. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with, you know, when you perform to the coast, especially like in New York or LA or Boston, it, they're so saturated with entertainment, you know. So you you might have a crowd that's been to 35 shows that year and maybe they've gone to opera and all these things so they have like a in a good way they're very savvy on entertainment but then you might go to parts of the middle of the country where just because of access or maybe there's only one comedy club that's 35 miles away and they only go to one or two shows a year yeah. I, I generally find that the crowds in the midwest like ohio and kansas and they're great crowds because i think they appreciate the art of stand-up they appreciate that you came out to them so I, I've had great shows in like Wisconsin and even like Arkansas. And so those places are, are some of the most fun to play because they don't get to see there, there's less that goes there. So I think right. they appreciate the shows more. One of my favorite cities in general, like I always get like excited whenever I see anything on my calendar, that's like New Orleans or Miami. Yeah. Um, I love New even Orleans. Like places like Phoenix and Portland and there's great shows in Portland. You know, it just depends. I, there's some cities that I love and then I have, that are tougher to perform. Like LA, for example, is a tough city to perform. Yes. There's like a lot of shows like there is in New York, but mm-hmm. it's actually a tough city to perform. I, I got flown out there to do a charity show. And I remember I was the only comic on the bill. It was like a lot of musicians and things. And I was doing stand up. I'm like, these people don't want to see me do stand up. Right. Like they, they, I could say anything. Yeah. Um, it's tough. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how the country can be broken down and be very, very different. You know, you can go to 10 different cities and have 10 different shows with the same act. Yeah. We were talking about uh, how you, when when we met, it was right before the Impractical Jokers cruise. Do you have, you know, and <laughs> I know the word cruise is a little triggering right now. <laughs> but... well, I know. I'm happy to yeah but uh but do you have any funny stories from the impractical jokers cruise or even even the tours man because i mean i'm sure touring with those guys must be a trip man yeah they're they're really the best part about touring with them is they're also different you know so i think if you were to hang out with them as much as i have you would be blown away that i can't even believe they're actually friends because they're all so different Right. You know, they're not like all cut on, under the same mold. They're very, very different. The only thing that connects them is their friendship, but they're all so distinct and different. Uh, one of my favorite things, and there's actually a video of this that if you want to follow up and check it out. One show I did in the South, it was James's birthday, and they dared me to uh, to go out on stage that night. It was like, it was a theater show. It was three or 4,000 people, sold out show. And they said, we'll pay you the same rate, but if you go out, we're going to write you an intro you have to go out on stage and the only thing you can do is dance three minutes to an instrumental from the 1970s called the popcorn song. <laughs> and so I, they give me this intro, like he's been in the Revenant. He was like, he's had nine <laughs> specials on HBO. Really, they blow this huge, spe- like this unbelievable intro. He like, he was what the last guest on Johnny Carson. Like it was like this long intro. Oh my gosh. I, I go up and I dance three minutes to the popcorn dance. It's all filmed on 360 degree camera. And uh, the crowd had no idea what to take of it. Everyone's like arms crossed. I'm trying to get people to clap. And the only people who were enjoying it were those four guys backstage who were dying laughing. It was so fun. So it was, that was one of those, uh, one of the, one of a great moment. It was fun. And we still have like that memory of like a, a show where I, I completely gave that city away. Like I could have, done that show and like maybe gone back and done my own comedy club show but instead i danced (laughs) (laughs) i love it i can i can never go back to that city i love that so much just wrapping up here the question i've been asking everyone during this whole quarantine thing while we've been you know zoom podcasting is what's the first place you're gonna go to what's the first thing you think you're gonna do once this whole thing is over 
Oh, man. I'm kind of a simple guy. I mean, the things that I really miss, uh, I miss going out to eat. You know, I miss like going to like a nice restaurant, having a glass of wine, eating a good meal. But I think as far as like comedy is related, which is always like at the top of my mind. Yeah. Uh, I miss the comedy hangs the most. Like I miss going to Me a comedy too. club and sitting in the and sitting in the green room and having a hang or busting balls and doing all that talking shop. I miss that the most. Yeah. Even equal to or maybe even more than performing. You know, performing I'm going to do forever and whatever, but it's the camaraderie behind it that um, that you miss. So I think once everything kind of opens up, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think there's going to be a lot of camaraderie amongst the comedians, and not just in comedy, but in a lot of industries, I think a lot of people are going to go back to work and maybe think about how much they missed different parts of the office or parts of the job that they thought they hated, but getting back there and, and maybe there'll be a different appreciation for just getting up in the morning, getting dressed and going to whatever your job may be and, and doing that with like-minded people. Yeah, man, absolutely. I definitely agree with you. This has been such an episode. I'm so so thankful and grateful to you for being a part of this podcast. Um, I do. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me to be on. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. It was so awesome talking to you. Where can people find you online if they aren't already following you? <laughs> all my all my social media stuff is uh, at Jiggy Comedy, so J-I-G-G-Y Comedy. I'm doing a daily quarantine podcast on my Patreon, so it's Patreon yes. slash um, Jiggy Comedy, so I'm doing that. For my Patreon members, it's called a comedian in quarantine. So I talk a lot of every day is a little bit different, but been doing that daily. And it's actually helped out a lot just to have something to do. But if people want to uh, check that out, it's uh, patreon.com slash Jiggy Comedy. And then all my socials, uh, Instagram and Twitter are uh, at Jiggy Comedy as well. Yeah, man. Hopefully when this whole thing is over, we can do another show together because it was awesome yeah, doing shows um, before this whole thing started. Um, but anyway, uh, for me, you can find me on Instagram at Mike Valdez on Twitter at I am Mike Valdez. And you can go to who is Mike to find out the answer to that question. And that is it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends so we can grow this family. Bye besties. That's it, dude. <laughs> That was a Geek Bro podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit geekbro.net.